how can you use your strengths to land more clients and earn what you're worth? This is what I talk about with my guest, Leslie Lyons, on this episode of the Enough Already podcast. Had enough? Ready to turn your career into your own consulting and coaching business? You're in the right place. I'm Betsy Jordan, and with my background as a consultant, entrepreneur, and personal brand builder, I'm here to give you inspiration and guidance to own your brilliance, shape your brand, articulate your message, and get seen and paid as the expert that you already are. This is Enough Already, the place for consultants and coaches to learn how to create businesses and lives that they love. Hey there, and welcome to the Enough Already podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jordan, and I am wrapping up my series on owning your strengths. So through this series, we explored why it can be so hard to see our strengths, let alone own them. We also talked about the difference between strengths and superpowers, and we got some actionable inspiration from other consultants and coaches who have figured out through the brand positioning and mentoring work that I do, um, what makes them truly unique and how do they build a business off of those strengths. I also took you behind the scenes into what goes into mining for those strengths. And now we're wrapping up this series with a powerful conversation with my powerful guest, Leslie Lyons, on how all of this translates to the ultimate goal we have with our businesses, which is all about landing clients who will value us and pay us what we're worth. So this is where Leslie comes in. So Leslie's an expert at helping people build businesses that feeds their souls and their bank accounts. She does this by helping them not just believe in their heads and the value that they offer, but embody that value, especially when it comes to sales conversations. You will not want to miss this conversation, which had me both inspired and rolling on the floor in laughter. We talk about how Leslie's background in ministry and ownership of a pole dancing studio influences her business coaching process. And I promise you, it does match and it will fit and it'll make sense to you once you listen in. We also do a deep dive into the Enneagram tool and how to use it to sell more effectively and overcome the issues and challenges that cause us to sabotage ourselves and play small. We differentiate between simply agreeing that, yes, of course, I have worth and truly embodying that worth and the impact of that difference in our sales abilities. On a very personal level, Leslie put me on the hot seat and she helped me see where my sales strengths are and where I got them from. And I always thought that I got my sales abilities from the partnership setup process that I was trained in while I was at Disney. But the reality is, is my sales approach is really rooted in my own personal strengths and from the role modeling I got from the best salesperson I ever knew, which was my dad, who always made his customers feel so seen and valued. So the reason why the partnership setup approach really resonates with me is because it matched my strengths. So if you're somebody who wants to up-level your sales abilities, and your ability to use your strengths to land more clients, I have a brand new course on contracting and pricing mastery that I'm offering as a bonus for the people who sign up for my brand positioning and messaging program. And the reason why is because I know that it's not enough just to have a world-class image on your website and in a thought leadership positioning if you don't know what to do with leads once you get them. So I created this program as a companion to all the marketing work that we do And this program includes step-by-step guidance through my relationally driven sales process, along with proposal templates, pricing formulas, and more. So if you need help monetizing your mission, head on over to www.betsyjordan.com and Jordan with a Y forward slash schedule. And let's chat about turning this around. And for sure, listen into this absolutely powerful, amazing conversation with Leslie, who also has a special offer just for Enough Already listeners. 
which she'll tell you about all at the end. So now without further ado, welcome to the show, Leslie. Oh, thank you, Betsy, for having me. I'm super stoked to talk to you. So before we get started, um, share with my listeners just a little bit about who you are, what your business is all about, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Leslie D, as in David Lyons, um, and I help women get over their fear of selling. Ah, feeling, Selling go from feeling icky to feeling like a place of power and service. So why? So how did you come to this business model? What's your background? Yeah, totally. So I have a very funny background. Um, so I was in corporate. I started in corporate HR and I was in corporate HR for a while. Then I was recruited out of HR into recruiting. And that was my entree into selling. And so I sold for a few years. Um, I've sold everything from, I always say selling people, but that sounds so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that is what recruiting is, though, let's be honest. Exactly, exactly. So I went from helping people find their dream opportunities to my last position was educational sales. I spent about 15 years in educational sales. I left educational sales because I was also recruited out of that. But I like to say I was recruited out by Jesus. So I went <laughs> and started working in full-time ministry <laughs> at the mega church that I was attending here in Chicago. Well, it's so, a mega church. Yeah, so about ten thousand members. Wow, yeah. that's that so, is a mega church. Yeah, yeah, it is. It was pretty large, and I went to be the minister to women and girls. Interesting. Yeah. So, so you were in sales. So you were in HR, then you went to sales, and you went into ministry. And do you feel like you still were in sales, like selling? Are you, were you selling Jesus, or what were you? Yeah, selling? you got to sell Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is a hard sale. Let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and so I've always been in sales. Um, also, while I was working in ministry, though, I opened up two pole dance studios. Oh, that, of course, that makes perfect sense. You know, going to ministry, then then of course you're going to open a pole dancing studio. Of course, why not? Doesn't That's everybody? Doesn't everybody go that route? No. Yeah. Um. So, but here's the common thread from even from my HR days to being in the current business model I am in now. I've always been a fierce champion for women's voices and encouraging women to stand in their power and their authority. And I did that in HR. I did it in selling. I did it in ministry. I did it in pole dancing. And now I'm doing it in coaching. So the thread is the same. I like to tell people all the time, your purpose is constant. The container can change. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So, but how did pole dancing relate to your sales purpose and women empowerment? A lot of people would not think that somebody who's a pole dancer is empowered. They would say opposite, like you're objectified. So tell, yeah. explain that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we do in our studio is actively helping women to own their desires. Okay. You cannot, you can get women in a room and I know you're a coach as well. You can get women in a room and ask them really just one question. What do you want? And literally, you can hear a mouse pee on cotton. Like it can get so quiet because oftentimes we're living the dream. And I know you work with corporate professionals. Wait, wait. Mouse pee on cotton. A mouse 
pee on cotton. A mouse pee on cotton. I have not heard that. It is a down south. I am full of that. Um, Okay, so you can hear a mouse pee on cotton. It was so quiet when you were asking. Think about how small a mouse is and the peeing on cotton. Like, it's crazy. Thank my great grandmother for it. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Thank my grandmother for these wonderful <laughs> that just kind of come out of me. <laughs> but that's how quiet it is. It's like, think about how small a mouse is and then peeing on cotton. Never done the research myself, but thank the good folks in Mississippi. Because that's the phrase and that's where it came from. So if somebody's listening and they're from the South, they probably would be like, I've heard that phrase before. So it's hilarious. But yeah, they get really quiet. They get really quiet because a lot of times when you're working with very accomplished women, sometimes you take on the narrative of what does it take to be accomplished, which is not necessarily your life's heart or desire. We can get very caught up in the matrix is what I call it of what I should do, even what I'm skilled at. And this is what makes me money, but it's really not my heart's desires. So one of the things we do in pole dance studios is give voice to your desires. We advocate for that. So here's an example of how society makes women strength and how a pole dance class looks to expand you. So there's a move that we have in pole dancing called a pole set. And literally, you put the pole in between your adductors, so your thighs, and you sit, you engage those muscles, and you hold it, okay? Betsy, it's super painful because the pole is still, your skin is not, okay? But this is an exercise that we use to prove a point. So we have all the women in the room get on the pole and sit there. And immediately, I'll just say, as the authority in the space, you're going to sit there until I tell you to get down. And people are like, oh, okay. And then they do it and the pain starts to kick in. And you should see these grown women who've paid me over $200 to be there, by the way. <laughs> so they haven't given peanuts to be there, shaking. And they're like, you can see the pain in their face, but they won't get down. And the first person who finally says, F this S, I'm down. This hurts. We celebrate them. Like, all get out. And we're like, you could have got down 10 seconds into this by just saying, this hurts. And I'm not going to do it. Wow. And so many women have. My, been- the mouse was just ping on the cotton over here as I was <laughs> just spotting through. <laughs> But yeah, so many women have been conditioned to just comply. Yeah. To please the authority. They want to please me as their instructor, right? Like we get into some of these habits where, and it's causing us pain. It's causing us great discomfort. But you have the keys to your own prison cell at any point. And it's your voice. And so that's an example of how pole is done in our space. And our space attracts a certain type of woman who is looking to build their confidence and also rekindle their connection to their sexuality. Let's be clear, because there's a lot of ways you could get your voice back. So if a woman chooses pole, there's this, I want to get the mojo going too. But they're often surprised that the connection to the mojo is also voice 
communication. What do you want? So I think if someone's listening, they would say, okay, I could see the pole dancing connected to women's voices, but how does this connect to ministry and sales? <laughs> Where do you see the through line between, you know, being a spiritual person and connecting with the body? Because a lot of people do not think that that would be a spiritual experience. And then how does getting connected to my body have anything to do with my ability to, you know, land work and get paid what I'm worth? Yeah. So your voice is your voice where it, wherever it is. If you cannot communicate your worth and value, you can surely bet that the world won't give it to you. Mm. You must advocate for yourself. And so I am always teaching women how to advocate for your gifting. It's really simple for me. Um, in ministry, and when people say they don't see spirituality connected to voice or even the marketplace, if you will. I would say those are people who haven't read the Bible mm. uh, because God is very clear about sexuality. There's a whole book in the Bible, you know, Song, yes, Song of Solomon. That's a hot book. Scintillating, right? So is my hair say, like a flock of gazelles? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Right. Is my nose like the Tower of Lebanon? Oh, you got, you remember really well. Come on now. <laughs> I, spent, so, I spent eight years in ministry. No, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. I love that. So, you know, so for people to make that assumption is one that is just not informed. Yeah. Um, is that, so the vibrancy that we have as humans is God given, but we have to communicate it because I typically work with women identified people. So that is conditioning that is experience that we have to break out of. So it happens in ministry. It definitely happens in corporate. I went to a reading last night of, it was a feminist group and I went and there was a conversation. There were a couple of attorneys in the room, a couple of um, MDs in the room, and they were just talking about all the mansplaining that happens in their environments. And how often they comply just because it's not worth the energy is what they said. And I was like, well, you know, every time you are quiet, as Audre Lorde is saying, there's a piece of you that is dying. Mm. You need to find your voice. And I can help you. <laughs> but you need to realize the power in your voice and in your presence. So for me, it's very clear. It's very clear to me. Um the consistent thread. It's so, just like, speak up. So you were talking before uh, offline, you were sharing a lot about the difference between how men do sales and how women would do sales and how sometimes like we adopt these more, um, these practices that really aren't ours. Like, so how would you describe the difference between, is it men versus women or is it just different kind of personalities? Yeah, I definitely think it's different kind of personalities, which is why the Enneagram is a huge part of my work, because that is your personality, is helping you find the strengths in your personality. Um, but I definitely think sales has traditionally, we're talking about the profession of sales now, not the function of sales. Oh, okay. So there's a difference in your mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. The profession of sales is a game. Like, it is, it's... <laughs> And I like the game of sales. Um, and so 
when I think about how men play the game of sales, it is very cutthroat. It is very like whoever gets to the finish line fastest. If I got to trip you, I trip you. You know, it's it's very much so. And I hate to stereotype because that's what I feel like when I say this. But it was my experience. I worked in those environments. So I'm just sharing my experience. Very manipulative. Like, how can I trick you into working with me? How can I trick you into uh, making a decision as quickly as possible? Yeah, so it's more like the um, the the used car salesman sort of uh, archetype that has been prevalent, and there's a different way. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's not, and I also think it's how they view their clients. Uh oh, a lot of men don't think that their clients are educated and smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They often think that they know what's best all the time. And that shows up in selling situations. So people often walk away feeling small or dependent upon <laughs> the male sales rep. I think women have that natural ability, number one, to be empathetic. We typically can see beauty and appreciation in the person sitting across from us very easily. We humanize people. Men can objectify you. You can become just a cog in the process to get to where where I want to go. I think women have a much harder time doing that. And when they try to step into that game with that energy, that's when they get burnt out. Or for those women who are entrepreneurs, when you call them a salesperson or if you tell them that their primary job is to sell, they're like, oh, no, that's beneath me. I'm yeah. not Right. You know, I'm an engineer. I'm not a salesperson. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm like, well, let me tell you something, Susie. You could be the best engineer in America, <laughs> but if you don't know how to articulate your value and your worth, which is all selling is, you're going to be a broke engineer. <laughs> well, I think that's interesting. Like in our, prof- like the, the people that I work with are consultants and coaches mm-hmm. and we are selling people not just to work with us, but we're influenced. It's actually, I would call it proactive advocate. I don't call it sales. I call it proactively advocate, advocating because even in in our work, we're advocating people to take action on what's in their best interest. We're advocating, we're helping and influencing them. Like in your pole dancing class, you're advocating for these women to find their voice. That's sort of a sales process, if you will if you look at it from that standpoint. So if you're not good on the front end, you're not necessarily going to be as effective. Like to me, they're all one and the same. I use the exact same term advocate with women because sales has such a bad rap. We relate really well to the term advocate because we have to do that. You advocate for your children's education. You have a special needs child. You're advocating for your healthcare. You're advocate. We understand that language and that word lands better for women. But I I think- I think it's more like even just landing it. Like the the example I have, like my, I when you're talking about this, it makes me appreciate my dad so much more. So I grew up with, um, my my family had a chain of shoe stores all around Chicago. And my dad was the, the best salesman ever. And before he died, he explained to me his sales, sales philosophy. And here's how, why my dad was so good. First off, every person who came into his store were like his best friends. Like when he died, his entire funeral was filled with his customers and them telling how he change their lives. But if a customer would come in and they would say, I want a heal of some kind, he would pay attention to their, 
their kind of like their style, but then he would bring something else in an opposing category. And so he would proactively recommend many different things and the way that he would treat them when he was trying on their shoes and how he would be paying attention to how they looked and he'd give honest feedback and, you know, and then women would just leave with boxes and boxes of boxes. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I, I must have learned that because people say I'm a good, like a good BD person. I'm like, I'm not a good BD person. It's just, I, I, I get very focused on what's in my client's best interest, That's whatever it. that might be. And then I'll just stay laser focused on that. That's you it. know, so it's like, I'm not selling anything. I'm just saying I'm really focused. And if I'm not it, I'm not going to advocate for myself to be the fit for you. But if I am, I will. That's it. And because again, you're championing your customer's desire, right? Yeah. I tell a very similar story to your dad's story about um, Nordstrom. And my dad worked at Nordstrom. Their philosophy is that the bringing out the several shoes and all of the things. I share a story in my customer experience talks that I do, but really quickly, one of my girlfriend's dad was an attorney and she always got him those white on white cuff shirts all the time for his birthday. And when she started going to Nordstrom's to get them every year around her dad's birthday, they'd be like, hey, we've got your shirts. We got three or four of them. How many you want? We're going to gift wrap them. You can just pick them up major convenience right well of course you know fast forward one year they called and her dad had passed mm. right and so they're like it's your dad's birthday and she's like oh no my dad passed you know and the crying of that but then nordstrom went the extra step and they sent her a card and they sent her this bouquet and just honored her father through her it was this beautiful thing and i talk about how we take sales transactions and turn them into legacy transactions wow and so your dad was an example of a legacy transaction mm -hmm. where, because not many shoe salespeople are talked about for generations and generations, mm -hmm. you know, but it's those experiences that people remember when you're part of their lives and you never have to hardcore sell again as an entrepreneur when you can build those types of relationships. But it is selling. Let's be clear. It is selling. But and if. People but selling, but it's advocating. So it's like, let's keep using the right word. I think you can say selling, you can say advocating. You are helping people to buy from you. Yeah. That is a sales process. Because it's in their best interest. Yes. And yes. because they'll get value from the exchange. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you can say advocating, you can say selling, Whatever makes you feel better about what you're doing. Motivating, encouraging, coaching, coaching, guiding. <laughs> I don't care what words you pick for it. <laughs> That's my whole thing. I'm like, but your heart has to be what you described. Yeah. And so you can't I have to... the scarcity fear either. That's you right. You can't have the scarcity fear. Maybe that's where it goes back to the faith part is like, okay, we live in the abundance of the abundant universe and God gave us strengths. We're supposed to use them and we're not supposed to be all things and we're in an abundant place. Maybe that's where it all kind of. It does for me. It does for me. And I think however people choose to relate to it, I think that if you come to the, if you come to a selling situation with, I want what's best for my customer, but I'm also advocating for my service. Yeah. This right here is top notch. 
Now, it may not be top notch for you. It might not be a good fit for you, but this doesn't change the value of what's over here. And that energy, and it's so funny, Betsy. I literally was watching Ryan Holiday, who is kind of like the modern pusher for stoicism this morning. I love him. I love what he talks about. And he talked about a story with George Clooney. And he said that George Clooney was a struggling actor when he first started. And one day he had the epiphany. There was a mindset shift that he said to himself, you know what? These people need me. If they are looking for actors, without the right actor, the movie will be a flop. Without the right actor, they can't move forward. Without the right actor, this doesn't happen. That mindset shift changed the trajectory of his acting career. Wow. Because he showed up saying, I have value and worth. <laughs> and they're lucky to be a part of this. So in the game of sales, there is confidence that is needed. So how do you get it? And how do you how do you know what your worth is? How do you train your clients to own their worth and figure out what the right price is. Yeah, absolutely. So it starts with you. It starts with your innate, I call your values, your principles, your soul's fingerprints. Like I believe that each and every one of us came here with unique fingerprinting that makes you valuable. And it starts with figuring out what are those things that are in me that I just do naturally that I never even think about that are my selling strengths. And so many moons ago, I say many moons ago, but it was like seven years ago, I found the Enneagram as a tool. And it literally is one of the most accessible tools to help you figure out your innate strengths. So you're, for those who are listening, Enneagram may not be as familiar as like Myers-Briggs or the Strengths Finder, you know, sort of this ancient Sufi tool. How do you, can you describe it in a nutshell? Yeah, absolutely. So I like how you said this ancient shifty tool. I like that. No, shifty, shifty. It's from shifty it's from, it's the Muslim mystics who came up with this one like a thousand, like literally millennia ago. Well, here's what I'll tell you about the Enneagram. The origin of the Enneagram is highly debated. Oh. Highly debated. Yeah, highly debated about who came up with the Enneagram and where. A lot of people want to take credit for it. So I don't even go down that road. I don't know where it came from, but I know it's hella accurate. <laughs> That's what I do know. So it's a typing system that is basically based off of two things, nature and nurture. So the Enneagram's foundational belief is that you came kind of pre-wired a certain way, so innate values, but then your environment shaped those things for you. Your experiences shaped those things for you. And so there's nine different types but they fall into three different buckets. I like to call them as thinking centers or brain centers, your head, your heart, and your gut. And if you think about how you make decisions, are you someone who would think things through? Like, do you need checklists and you would balance things out before you made a decision? When you think about how you approach a decision, are you someone who thinks about how other people will feel? about it or how you feel? Like, do you feel something first about the decision? Or are you just a vis visceral reaction? Like, my gut told me to do this, I'm going with that. And so these nine types are broken into those three categories. And it's really about how do you approach 
decision making, but at a very base level, how do you seek to love, to seek to get love and to protect yourself? So which are the three? So which of the, the, out of the numbers? So what numbers relate to which center? Like what are the numbers relate to the gut? What are the numbers that relate to the heart? And or could you describe the nine briefly and then how they fit? Like, what are the gut numbers? What are the heart numbers? What are the head okay, numbers? Yeah. So eight nines and ones live in the gut center. Okay. Twos, threes, and fours live in the heart center. Five, sixes, and sevens live in the um, thinking, thinking center your head i had to point to my head like yeah yeah like they can see me head shoulder okay right 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 and so each of those each of those have a title and i always say if you want to nerd out on the enneagram there are other people out there who can do that for you but each of the i look to apply it immediately but each of those centers if your audience went away with knowing how do i make my decisions how do i seek love how do I seek to protect myself? Does that emotion come from my head, my heart, or my gut? And each of these personalities has strength and shadow. They have strategies about how they go about getting love and recognition and how they protect themselves. If you can realize, I always tell leaders, the two most important things you need to know to lead well is number one, how you see yourself. And number two, how the world sees you. If you can lead yourself well, if you can understand your strengths well, if you can understand your shadow well, you can sell and lead. So I love the word shadow, which is so much to me more of a compassionate term, like weak. it's it's different than weaknesses. Like mm-hmm. what would you describe a shadow to be versus what other people typically look at as strengths versus weaknesses versus strength versus shadow? Your shadow is a part of you, right? A sh- your shadow is a reflection of you. So when I, when I think about a weakness, a, we- a weakness is something to strengthen. A shadow is something to integrate. Mm. So for me, when I think about how I would cast a shadow, it would be because a light would be reflecting off of me and my shadow. To get rid of my shadow or to integrate my shadow, all I would need to do is line up with the light. Mm. So for me, it's about not getting rid of your shadow. It's about integrating it. It's about awareness. Yeah, I think the Enneagram is a really important tool in a, in some specific areas. If you're going to say, all right, the so just for those who are listening, can we just like do a quick like round the round the world? Like the ones are the perfectionists. So they, sure. you know, can we just kind of like go do a quick around the world so we can talk about it a little bit more specifically? Sure. So it's like Okay, so we'll start with the, do you want to go in order? Do you want to go by the centers? What do you want to do? Uh, let's just start with the ones all the way around. All right. So let's just go one. So ones are the perfectionists. You know a one because a one will notice that this picture behind me is crooked on the wall. Their love language is details. They see things. Order is extremely important to them because in their programming, when they were little ones, they had to learn. My husband's a one, by the way. Um they don't ever want to be perceived as being bad, okay? So they seek love by always seeking to be excellent. 
to be perfectionists. So what would make, so if somebody's a one and identifies, what would be their sales approach and what would be a good approach for them selling wise? Yeah. Attention to details. I know a one is going to make sure every T is crossed, every I is dotted. There won't be any surprises in that sales process. And then in terms of how they protect, like what's the impact if you're a sales, if you're trying to, you know, maybe start a business or land work, what would be your shadow? Like what would keep you from, from being the great salesperson that you could be or the great, great advocate motivator? Yeah. And so if we're going to go this deep, we could probably just, because for time's sake, I could probably pick a couple of numbers from the gut part of it. So we'll do ones for gut then if we're going to go that deep with it. So. I'll do, I'll, I'll, here, how about this one? I'm going to tell, give you some of my typical clients and you could say okay. what you suspect their type to be. Oh no, that's terrible. That goes against <laughs> all the Enneagram rules. Fine. I do that. <laughs> okay. So a lot of my clients are, they get lost in their head. They overthink, overthink, overthink. So mm-hmm. my, a lot of my clients wind up in a couple of buckets. Like they either get into analysis paralysis or perfection paralysis. Okay. So, so they're probably one. So we're probably a good place there. Yes. Or they're, or they wind up, they, yeah. So the, and now, okay. So let's talk about the perfection paralysis that keeps people from selling or moving forward in their business over, you know, that the, the perfection side, the analysis paralysis, constantly analyzing, 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 and do I have what it takes? And then Mm -hmm. there's like a people pleasing component. Like, oh my gosh, if I put my price out there, they're not going to like me anymore, or I won't be able to land the work. So can you just address those three and and then give some direction of resources? That's perfect. Thank you, Betsy. So we're on the right foot with the perfectionist. So let's finish that person out. So that's an Enneagram one. So you had asked, what do they, what's the pitfall? What do they need to watch for? It's being hypersensitive. Ones could be accused of being extremely critical. So in a selling situation, they have to be mindful of, let's say someone misspeaks. They use the wrong word to describe something. A one has the propensity to want to correct you and say, you meant to say. (laughs) Or that really means this. They want everything to be good. So is this where they spend a lot of time of like, I don't like this color pink, this hue of pink. I want that pink. And then they'll spend forever on their website with like the edits and the edits and the edits. Is it the same kind of scenario? Not with a one. A one is very decisive. They are very decisive, Um, but it must be right. So what they would say is I asked for this pink and they would notice that it was two hues off. Uh, Whereas me, I'd be like, that wall behind you is pink. They'd be like, actually, no, it's fuchsia, it's lilac. I'd be like, no, it's pink, right? That's what a one will do. Got it. They're very exacting. Um, And so, but that becomes a problem in a sales process because you will find yourself wanting to correct your client. And nobody likes to know it all. Whereas your attention to details is very valuable. You know, I would trust you. I would feel good. Like, I don't have to worry about Betsy leaving anything out of this equation because she's so exacting. So one way it feels trust, it builds trust. But in another way, when you're in your nasties, it, make pe- it makes people feel like you're anal. Got it. 
or you're a nitpicker. So ones need to be very careful that they don't correct their clients. So what, what about the um, analysis paralysis people? So that's probably a five, which is known as the investigator. I'm just thinking, because they're very withdrawn. They're very in their thoughts, like they live in their thoughts. But sixes do too. That's why I'm like vacillating back and forth because these are both head people. So of course they live in their head. So, hmm. Well, what would you recommend to somebody who is stuck in their head and is like, oh, I can't, I can't give this proposal. It's not right yet. I, I'm not quite sure in analyzing, 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 or, you know, take four years to launch a website because they just can't figure out the right thing. And, you know, like, what would you say to somebody who's in that analysis paralysis and just recommending how to get out of it? Okay, so let's use a six because the more that I'm just intuitively feeling like this person might be in paralysis because of fear. A six is known as the loyalist. And this, you know, you're a six if you have a backup plan for a backup plan. Like that six is, I often compare it to the mom because I had a friend when I was little, her mother was this way. Her purse was whatever you needed lived in her purse. Like someone could be like, do you have a bobby pin? She's like, I'm sure I do. Do you have, anybody have a Band-Aid? It was like the purse of magic. Anything you needed, she had. But she had it because she was so prepared. She had thought of everything that possibly could go wrong because her fear is that she will be caught off guard that something will go wrong in this process that will catch her off, off guard that will harm her. So a six might be caught in that analysis paralysis because they're trying to make sure they cover all their bases to make sure they're not hurt. Got it. Their core, core wounding, if you will, I hate to use that word wounding, but your core thing that gets you all knotted up is fear. They're afraid. And so they feel like if I could just come up with a plan, it's going to keep me safe. So yeah, I will go through and get stuck because I'm trying to make sure that when I launch, it will not fail. And we all know if you've ever launched anything, <laughs> some stuff is going to fail, mm -hmm. right? But a six will never, they will retard their growth and never launch because they just can't get to that point because they're so afraid. So how would you suggest them getting out of it is just yeah, act? So, yeah, no, because if you tell them just to act, they're gonna look at you like, okay, it ain't that easy, right? Like seriously, but also on the Enneagram, when you think about what I love in terms of accessibility, when you know your primary number, there's a pathway for growth and then there's a pathway of regression. So if I want to know what growth looks like for me as an Enneagram 8, I know when, that I'm growing when I move to the healthy side of two. So when I can go from being very dominating, very um, straight talking, without much consideration for how it's going to land, to being more cooperative, to being more of a, what does someone need? Kind of where we started. What does someone need and how I can meet that need? That's a clear way for me to know that I am growing. 
So it's not so, a cookie cutter solution. It's just based on your type. It sounds like there's a lot of dynamic aspects to this tool that says, like, this is my custom path to growth. It is. So for that sick who's stuck in their head, when they are growing, they start to take on the healthy side of nines. And so nines are in the gut center. So gut action, think action, right? But it's the walking on the path. It's, and that's why coaching helps, is to help you ask the questions that you need to move. I would ask a six who was stuck in paralysis. I know you've thought about everything that could go wrong, but what could go right? If you move forward, mm. what could possibly go extremely well if you launched today, if you picked up the phone and had this conversation, if you met with this person who you want to work with, if you spoke to your spouse about the Disney World trip, what could go really well? So you go really deep in your sales coaching. It seems like it's like it starts off with really understanding your strengths. And then really understanding the dynamics of what gets in somebody's way is a big part in a very personal sort of way. It's not like you're giving generic principles. So even when I ask the question, like, well, how do you help people like stand in their worth and figure it out? It's you, there's not a generic principle per se. It's so custom. It's more generic around this is your strength. This is how you might not, this is where you'll show up good. This is where you'll kind of show up, you know, playing small. This is your custom path to what you need to do. It sounds like, is that my understanding you right? Yes, 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 I do. I look at the person as the individual because everybody's journey is, as you know, is different. However, there is some high level principles that can be taught, but it just depends on what your needs are and how, how aware are you when you come to me is the question. So can we address the people pleaser real quick to put a bow on talking specifically as it relates to the Enneagram? And then can you pull me, pull us all back and to say big picture, you know, uh -huh. what, it, what are those big picture principles? Sure. So a people pleaser for me, when I think about a people pleaser, I think of twos. They're called the helper. And twos have this uncanny ability, Betsy, to look into your soul and see what you really need. It's crazy. Two here. Oh, I didn't even know that. But that's crazy. So talk about yourself. How about you talk about yourself? What is your superpower? Uh, I see people. Hmm. I, I can see into people. Um, the problem sometimes is I, I think it's like it's created a strength for me when I was a consultant is like, okay, I knew whatever, like, and, th and this is a good thing in general in my life is like, I anticipate what everybody's going to feel in any situation and I'll make decisions in the present to accommodate all of that, mm -hmm. which then becomes kind of like paralyzing. So I'm getting married next month yes. and, and I thank you. And I, I had a conversation with my fiance. I'm like, all right, I I'm like really worried that I'm going to be worried about all these dynamics because you know he's got grown kids coming, blending families haven't met. And I'm like, I just need to sit down and we need to talk about every single person and what their trigger points might be. So we could have a plan of action against each one of them and what we need to do. You know, and then at some point, um, I, I was telling my little strategy to someone and they were like, well, you know, you do know you're the bride, you know, so they're going to have to accommodate. I'm like, wait, I'm the bride. Like, Ooh. you know, it's like kind of like when we were at the retreat um, last, you know, like the idea of me being in the center of attention. And when we're talking about it, like, I know my growth is to four. 
So when I think about like me taking a bigger stage, mm-hmm. I know that it's about, I have to be in the spotlight at some point. Like I, I hide behind my content or I hide behind my clients. And then I sabotage myself through relationships that are not mutually beneficial. I do the 80, 20 relationships. Absolutely. So I do 80, 20 in my, I, you know, in my, my business partnerships, I do the 80, 20, like you bring this little thing and I think we're 50, 50. And it's like, you know, you're over here, you're giving nothing. So it's like it's constant sabotage from that standpoint. I, I haven't really done that when I've landed work because I have so much of this other philosophy around, you know, the value and the equitable, but how I handle other things. So I know that going up on a stage where it's my story, mm-hmm. where I'm showing up, like this is where you fascinate me. I'm like, I just want to like, just, I want, I love eights. It's like, you know, I love eight so much because my daughter's an eight. Like, oh, I just, yeah. You know, and it's like, I, I know and my, my fiance is, I think at eight with a seven wing, you know, okay. it's like, I love people who take charge because I'm like, mm-hmm. then I can relax, but I know I'm supposed to go to four and I know I'm supposed to take a stage and it's not about my signature talk. It is, it is, and it isn't, it's about that, but it's also like learning to be in the spotlight. Yeah. And fours at their best are individualists, right? That's what they're known for. Um, but they're also highly emotionally aware. Of their emotions where twos are outward focused fours are very aware of what's going on in them yeah and that's been my longer term journey and it's in in moving away from this codependence it's yeah. been it's so delightful you know the girl so delightful <laughs> you know it's like this ongoing thing and i think that that's where a lot of these fears come in if i were being honest around like why i want to talk about the enneagram is i feel like anytime you move into a growth edge like all of your protection styles are going to get all jiggered up you know because you're in a new a new area so now all of a sudden it's like it's all here and i think that's why you need a coach like you um, where you could help somebody like walk past it and say, yeah, of course, because you're stepping into a growth edge, you know, you're moving into a higher level of light versus shadow. Like to me, the, the shadow decreases when the light increases. And so, yeah, so I think that there's something about that. So, yeah, so that's the, that's the lovely experience of the two going to four. Yes, 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 yes. So let's talk about it from a sales capacity. So because twos can see you, your deep real need and then can adjust to accommodate it that's a salesperson's dream like (laughs) to see your need and then give you what you want the shortest sales cycle ever right oh no it's a my sales cycle. well i don't know depending on the on how you do it i do all custom proposals because of that okay because i don't because i don't know how to I don't know how to do a cut. Like I've tried so many times just to like, oh, I'll have a set package because that's what they tell you to do and put the set number. But it's like, well, everybody's different. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm hearing that you need this, but also you're hearing needing this and this. So, and you don't need this, you need this. So I'm going to go give that. Okay. That's interesting. Um, but it doesn't I, sound mean it's super long. I mean, my sales cycle is relatively short, but I've but I settle into three. I know I'm going to do at least two to three meetings for each client. If I'm going to okay. do an intro call and how I train people in my sales process is just settle in that there's going to be at least phone, three phone calls. There's going to be your intro call. Then you're going to be working on a custom proposal because you're going to be thinking about what's best for them, you know, and then there's the presenting it. And then if, and then, but I tell people when I do the proposal, like we're doing a co-creation process. We're going back and forth. We'll create it together. So there might be a fourth call. And then the sales cycle is done. 
Okay. Three call sales cycle is very typical. That's extremely short. Oh. When we start getting, yeah. I'm like, three calls. You got to introduce yourself. You got to put together a proposal. <laughs> you got to present it. Like, so I'm like, your sales cycle is spot on, Betsy. Like, it's people when you're just, it's like, this is the fifth, sixth meeting because you didn't find out who the decision maker was in meeting one. Got it. Okay. So then my sales yeah. cycle is really small. It is. It's, it's concise. That's good. That's good. Um, the only thing that I would offer you, if you ever want to get out of the everything is custom, because that that's a lot energetically without going, because <laughs> clients may be listening to this. So I'm just going to leave it at that. That's a lot energetically to have to custom. I just wonder if there's an opportunity to have a set program that you sell or options that you sell. And then maybe there's an upsell based off of what they need, but not yeah. every single proposal being like. No, no, I have a set program. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's just that I have, um, I have a set program, but then, you know, like, so let's say my, my brand messaging is like, this is like a two month kind of program, okay. but some people might have a business where they've already, they've already started. So they're working on that and they need help landing clients. So I might add in like, okay, we could do that. And we'll add that one. Cause you need both of them because. So it's really kind of a a customization, a minor customization. The core is the same, every client, but based off of what you need, there's a couple of other options I could give you. Yeah. Like okay. I don't, I don't change everything unless okay. I send, but I'll, but I would leave it res open. Like for the, the majority of my clients get the best results on the brand messaging is when we do it in a weekly kind of scenario. I've tried shoving it into a VIP day, but it doesn't really work because when you're figuring out like your brand, it's like you need to do a little bit of work and then you need to like a little bit of space. But if I had a client, let's say came to me and said, all right, I got like, um, you know, my brand's mostly set, but I just need this. And it's like, okay, maybe I'll try a VIP day for you. I don't always do that, but I'll try it out because my gut will tell me, you know, or it's like my intuition is saying like, yeah, I think this could kind of work and then I'll go with it. You know, like I, I'm not super rigid on it has to be this particular way. So I don't know if that's like a yeah. two with a three or if I'm a two with a one. I don't know. No, you would definitely be two with a three based off of what you just described, because a one wouldn't care about that. A one would say there's a process to do this. There's a right and a wrong way. Oh, okay. So right. <laughs> Got it. The one would be, there's a right or a wrong way to do this. I was on a call earlier with a woman who is getting ready to uh, pitch a B&B project, B2B project. And she's also in branding and the C-suite executives don't want to do her, um, I call them intake forms, but that's not what she called it. But, you know, basically here are the questions that we need to, a questionnaire kind of a thing. And these people who she's pitching, they're like, we're not doing that. Okay. That's not what we're doing. Da, da, da. That's, that's wasted time kind of a thing, but it's very integral to her process. So it was funny because somebody on the call was a one and she was like, okay, fine. If you think you're losing business because they're saying they don't want to fill out that questionnaire, the first meeting becomes the questionnaire. Like there is, so there was no deviating from the process. That's a one. Like this is happening because this is the right way to do it. Now you can do it before you get to me or we can do it at your first call, but it's happening because <laughs> this is the right way to do it. So it's so funny you brought that up. That's how ones respond. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I would do that. Like if, but it's like, there's more than one way to skin this cat. I'm like, okay. Not to a one. I'll, but I, I mean, my process will be the same. Like, like with my client, like I have one client now who's like pushing back on the ideal client. 
I'm like, too bad, so sad. You have to figure out your ideal client. I can't, there's no copy to be written if we don't do it. I'm not saying it in my head. I'm like, too, bad, she- too bad, so sad. We're going to do an ideal client because there's no other way around it. If you don't know who you're serving, you know, like a, a great business is not going to have a spotlight on you. It's going to have it on the client. So too bad, so sad. And then, you know, he's like, I hate your forms. I'm like, well, all right, I'll make a new form. But no matter what, you got to settle in. You got to answer at some point because there's no other way around it unless you like, I'm like, or what I said, I'm like, you can have your website, but it's going to be just like a LinkedIn profile, like just an extensive LinkedIn profile. We could do that if you want. It's not going to convert. You know, you're not going to, you can use it as a credibility tool, I guess, if you wanted it, you know, as you do RFPs, make, you could do that. But if you're trying to attract people to your website, this will not work. It's not going to happen. So I'll tell Tom straight out, I'm like, mm-hmm. but there's more than one way to skin the cat. Like I can, I can change up my process, but the outcomes won't change. Exactly. Exactly. So, so is that a one or is that a three? I still think it's more three-ish than a one because a one is not going to be flexible. So you just show flexibility by saying, okay, let me think about another way to position this to this person. A one is not going to, no, a one has a process and you either on this train or you're off. That's so interesting. Okay. So let's talk about your big picture process is, so I remember you have like these different P's around your personality and I forgot the other, and I know the fourth one, but I forgot the second too. So (laughs) positioning, I think second one's positioning. We're doing good. You're remembering personality, positioning, something, and then the cool one. Can you do the four things and then relate it to? Um... <laughs> I'm just dying. Okay, because of the cool one. So it's three Ps. Um, it's... Oh, wait. Oh, so I did remember all three of them. You did. You did. Oh, okay. You did. So it's personality. Which we just talked about, right? Yep. What okay. we just talked about. Positioning is once you know what your strengths are. How do you lean into those in the sales process so that you show up in George Clooney energy or Kanye West energy or in your welcome energy, like your value? And then the third is pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. Okay. All right. You got to explain to my audience what you mean by pleasure. Yes. Like anytime you are selling or advocating or coaching, consulting, whichever term you want to use that feels good for you. That's a form of pleasure too, choosing your languaging around it, what feels good to you. Um, We use all types of tools, but we use breath work. We use emotional freedom technique. Anything that takes your nervous system from, ah, I keep forgetting people can't see me, but ah, all over the place. I, I, well, we will have a video of this. So if you do want to see it. I hope I don't have any makeup, nothing. Oh, well, tis his life in a big city, huh? So, <laughs> if so, if you want to see what Leslie just did, <laughs> I had no idea this was going to be a video somewhere. Okay. Um, but yes, so all of your nervous system is screaming, right? Because you're a sympathetic nervous system, your fight, flight, freeze part of your nervous system is activated. Anything that can take your, you from sympathetic state to parasympathetic, where you're calm, where you're grounded. It's pleasurable. And so there's a variety of ways to do it. One of my favorite tools is EFT. I love emotional freedom technique, AKA tapping, um, to take the charge out of situations. So one of the things that we do in my process is we get to the fears around selling, like what comes up for you. 
frequently and we literally role play it. What happened in your last sales situation? What were you feeling? What were you thinking? How was your body responding in that process? And how can we take that ick feeling out of it? So what I love about EFT, other than other techniques I've seen like NLP or or um, mantras and, and those sorts of things is that those are aspirational statements. EFT deals with the ick of it all. It's like, let's just tell the truth about how you feel and then we can reframe it. We don't just jump to the reframe. So as you're tapping through the points, you're saying exactly how you feel about selling or exactly how you feel about this client that you're getting ready to go to. So you're putting all of the negative emotions out there. You're voicing it, voice, you're speaking it, you're getting it out. And then we're also going to reframe it. And the points that you're tapping on are meridian points. So if you've ever had acupuncture or acupressure, I call it spiritual acupressure because literally you're tapping on the meridian points that are literally calming your nervous system as you're tapping. It is a super pleasurable experience because you go from frantic to grounded. Is the experience pleasurable or the outcomes pleasurable? I think the experience is pleasurable too because you can actually feel the energy moving through your body. Awesome. Okay, so if people want to work with you, mm-hmm. how do they find you? Yeah, LeslieDLions.com is is my home base. Also, Leslie D. Lyons on LinkedIn. And then if my clients want to find you and they want to work with you, do they get anything special? Yeah, you know what? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because Betsy's so cool. One of the things that I do is a deep dive that I offer separately. I call it Soulful Values. That is a little bit deeper. We were talking about how you package things. In my traditional package, it's a very high level overview of your type. So you get your strengths, your shadow, and we're going to move on from there. But in Soulful Values, we go deep into that. So not only how does it apply to your business, but how does it show up in your romantic relationships? How does it show up in your childbearing, your parental relationships? How does it just show up in your life in general? How could you use this tool in your day to day? I would give that to your people for free. <gasps> wow. Yes. Wow. What about yeah. like for me for free? Come on. I'm like, come on. Absolutely. I would love to do it. I would love to do it. Just hit me up. Wow, this is awesome. So, okay, we've talked about so many different things today. Um, if you were gonna, if you were gonna think back to um, anything that we talked about, anything about sales or anything about the Enneagram, masculine, feminine, ministry, mice peeing on wool, or wait, mice peeing on cotton. <laughs> is there anything about these topics that you wanted to share more about? And I just didn't ask you the right question. No, you did a great job. I just think at the end of the day, for women, because I'm speaking specifically to women right now, if you have any apprehension around bringing your genius into the world, if you did take the George Clooney approach of that my worth is my worth, whether someone buys from me or not, that is a position of power. We need women to make money, lots of it. And guess what? Yes, there could be, God could open up the window 
of heaven and pour me out a blessing I don't have room to receive. That is not just a song. It could happen. But it hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> and I'm getting ready to be 50. Like, it hasn't happened to me yet. <laughs> so, so I'm not saying it couldn't happen. But what I'm saying is, I believe that if we're going to make money, we have to learn how to ask for it. Mm. You do the world a disservice when you sit on your brilliance. When you don't advocate for your work, and I've had the pleasure of sitting and seeing brilliant women who are terrified about getting their work out in the world. Our world suffers when you sit on your brilliance. So you got to get some confidence around what you're doing. We already know you're brilliant. We already know you're smart. We already know you're an expert. But if you don't tell the world, <laughs> ain't nobody going to do it for you. So that's what I would encourage people to do, especially women folk. We got to, we're experts, but we got to learn to advocate. And get off the pole if it doesn't feel good. Yes. You got to get off the pulse. It. You got to learn to speak up. You got to learn to speak up all the ways that <laughs> this is uncomfortable for me have boundaries. There's so much like I could just talk about pole and empower how pole empowers women forever, but it is so much around boundaries, desires, expectations, connection. I always say people love to talk about telling women, oh, well, listen to your intuition. But no one is giving women tools. I'm not saying no one because there are people out there who are. But in the conversation, no one's telling you how to tap into that. The way is into your body. That I think that's what's different from what you're saying is that it's not about believing in your worth. It's embodying your worth. Oh, I love that. Yes, you said that perfectly. I think that's, that's why you're the branding expert because yeah. you just summed that up perfectly. It is. My framework is called the embodied sales framework. <gasps> Shut up. I didn't even know that. So <laughs> we're totally aligned. You talk about positioning, so do I, and personality. I don't really talk about pleasure though. So maybe it's because like, I have like that pole stuck up, you know, like somewhere else. And I, you know, <laughs> I sat on it the wrong way. <laughs> But it is, it is about embodying. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. My face is turning red. Uh, but it is about embodying it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie, so much for being on the show. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Betsy, for having me. And thank you for being such a light in our world. I appreciate the work you're doing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. That was so much fun. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. This is a great I'm just going to let the team do whatever they're going to do to wrap this up. Amen. And I'm going to close it out. All right. Bessie, you're a rock star. Thank you again. This was so fun. I'm like, out of all the interviews you had today and yesterday, I'm sure you did not laugh as hard as you just did now. Mm -hmm. So that, that adds the joy to your day. And that's one of my goals. It's my pleasure. It's been my pleasure, Leslie. <laughs>
<laughs> I love you, Betsy. That's so awesome. And if you need anything from me, seriously, like if you want to do a soulful values, hit me up. I would love to walk you through it. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If today's episode lit a fire in you, please rate and review Enough Already on Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. And if you're looking for your next step, visit me on my website at BetsyJordan.com. And it's Betsy Jordan with a Y. And you'll learn all about our end-to-end services that are custom designed to accelerate your success. Don't wait. Start today.